2: is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. We've got a geeky science for you. Ivermectin doesn't work. You know, (laughs) the worm medicine, parasite medicine, and of course, hydroxychloroquine, the uh, malaria medicine doesn't work. But there is a $4 generic antidepressant that actually, in two clinical trials now, shows some efficacy, some effectiveness in reducing symptoms of COVID. I'll tell you about that with our geeky science. And the billionaires for Joe Manchin. They are holding more fundraising events. Republican Trump supporting billionaires holding fundraisers for Joe Manchin, which tells me the pressure is on to blow up, build back better, and to not allow a hole in the filibuster for voting rights. But, you know, we'll see. Anyhow, well, we'll talk about that. But to start, I was ranting about, you know, sending our jobs overseas and these insane so-called free trade policies brought to you courtesy of the Reagan, Bush, and Clinton administrations, principally Reagan and Bush. Bill Clinton just signed the laws. But uh, Reagan and Bush negotiated these things, this whole new neoliberal free trade policy which has gutted our manufacturing sector, sent 60,000 factories uh, shut, 60,000 factories in the United States, many of them sent overseas, and lost us tens of millions of jobs. And what are we left with? What we're left with are jobs that involve things like saying, Do you want fries with that? And those kind of jobs historically don't pay worth diddly squat. And I mean this is this is the American well, just to put this in historical context. You go back to the 1920s, the roaring twenties. It was called the Roaring Twenties because the stock market was exploding. But for working people, it was a time of collapsing wages. Wages were actually going down in the roaring twenties on working people. They were shooting people who were trying to unionize, literally killing people for trying to unionize in the roaring 20s, the 1920s, 100 years ago. And then, of course, we got the Republican Great Depression out of Republican President Herbert Hoover's presidency in 1929, 1930, 1931, 1932. And then in March of 1933, Franklin Roosevelt became president started the New Deal, and one of the first things he got to work on was giving Americans the right to unionize. It took two years. It was passed in 1935. It was called the Wagner Act or the National Labor Relations Act. And it gave Americans the right to unionize. And they exercised that right throughout the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, right up to the Reagan presidency, right up to 1981, and it built the strongest and most vibrant and healthiest and wealthiest middle class the world had ever seen, right here in the United States. And then Ronald Reagan decided, yeah, we don't want that. We don't want unions in the United States anymore. So how do you kneecap unions? Well, it was a multi-pronged effort. Number one, most union membership in the United States was concentrated in manufacturing. So you send the manufacturing jobs overseas. Reagan, Bush did that, or started that process. Then number two, now you've got service sector jobs, these service sector employees who used to be making, you know, in today's dollars, you know, 30 bucks an hour on, a, on the factory floor. They're now making $9 an hour, you know, do you want fries with that? they're going to start getting together and saying, hey, wait a minute, we need a union too. So you make it harder to unionize. And there's been a whole series of Supreme Court decisions starting in the 1970s that make it much harder to unionize and make it much harder for unions to be effective in in, defending the interests of their members. And in fact, in my my op-ed over at HartmanReport.com, which is, by the way, titled The Bill is Coming Due for Sending Good-Paying Jobs Overseas, and it's called Unionization, there is a link to an entire chapter in my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America, that is not in the book. I, I wrote the book, and I was like 3,000 words over the limit. And so they said, well, we'll just put this chapter online. And they created a PDF, and we put it on, on my website. It's at tomhartman.com labor.pdf if you want to read it. It's free. It's, a, it's, it's an entire chapter, and it's the chapter about how the Supreme Court gutted Labor union rights and, and workers' rights. And there's a link to it in, in my op-ed today also. But you know the thing that, that I, I you know, kind of really started all this is that today is supposed to be the day. Now, I haven't checked to see if they're doing this this morning. I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm not sure exactly where to check, but uh, the National Labor Relations Board was supposed to start a union vote, which will last for several weeks, in Buffalo, New York, around Starbucks. And if these guys are successful, now the lawyers for Starbucks appealed on Monday of this week and said, please put this on hold. And like I said, I'm not sure if they succeeded or not. We'll probably find out later on in the day. But the vote is supposed to happen. And how did you know that this is happening? Well, because Howard Schultz, the former CEO and the largest stockholder of Starbucks, the founder of the company, flew out to Buffalo and started telling Holocaust stories about how, you know, we're all in this together. And during the Holocaust, the Jews in the, car, in the train cars, they would use one blanket to keep five people warm. And, you know, we kind of have that philosophy here. And, and it's actually true. Starbucks is one of the more enlightened employers in the United States. They give health care even to their part-time employees. I mean, they do a lot of good stuff. But still, their employees would like to have a union. But the Supreme Court has made it so hard and Starbucks has hired a a law firm, which is, uh, you know, one of the premier law firms in this field that is, uh, you know, making it a challenge, shall we say. The the, uh, U.S. president of Starbucks, Roseanne Williams, also showed up in Buffalo and they've got all these executives hanging around and stuff like this. You know, Reagan kicked off his war on labor. And, and frankly, we should just call it that, because that's what it was. It was Reagan's war on labor. He kicked this off in, uh, in 1981, August of 1981, actually. In fact, uh, you know, it was, what, 40 years ago this year? Wow. Um, 40 years ago this year, this August, Ronald Reagan kicked off the war on labor by firing 11,345 PATCO employees, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization. The, uh, the Air Traffic Controllers Union. And he shattered that union, which ironically was one of only two unions that actually endorsed Reagan in the 1980 election. But, you know, Republicans and loyalty, those are not words you use in the same sentence unless you're talking about being loyal to Republicans. But Republicans being loyal to American workers, ha, <laughs> give me a break, really. So, you know, when Reagan came into office, a third of America was unionized. Now it's 6% in the private workforce. And then, you know, particularly in right to work for less states, non union workers are pissed off. And all across America, they're starting to feel really empowered. Now, part of this is that the work, uh, you know, the labor force has shrunk. It's shrunk the most in the red states that are still trying to keep the virus alive. You got people who are afraid to go to work there because they don't want to get sick. And, and, you know, the virus is running so rampant in these 26 Republican-controlled states that are trying to hurt the economy so that Joe Biden and Democrats won't get reelected, right? Um, so anyhow, you've got that. You've got a lot of people who are just, you know, hey, I had a brush with death with COVID and I'm reevaluating my life and I'm, I'm going to just do stuff that, you know, pays well and gives me some time and I enjoy. You've got a reduction in the labor force because we've had 750,000 people die of COVID. And, you know, out of of 40 million people infected, probably a third of them are are suffering some form of long-term disability. And then, of course, on top of that, you got 40 years of Reagan's neoliberal war on working people. And a lot of people are just saying, screw it, enough is enough. I want a damn union. And all of this is taking place in the most labor-hostile legal environment since the 1930s, or really the 1920s. So what do we do? Well, we've got this PRO Act, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. It has passed the House of Representatives. There are even some Republicans who voted for it. And it's sitting on Chuck Schumer's desk because there's a Republican filibuster in the Senate. There's a small piece of the PRO Act, by the way, that is in the Build Back Better bill. It's called Section 21006, which uh, gives fines and penalties up to 100,000 bucks to individual executives and companies that violate the the National Labor Relations Act. So basically what I'm saying is it's time to be calling 202-224-3121, the switchboard for Congress, and letting your senators know that you want them to break the filibuster to pass the PRO Act and the Build Back Better Act. Because American workers deserve a level playing field. They deserve to have the right to defend themselves, the right to stand up on their own. This this should just be basic humanity 101. It should be basic Americanism 101, but every single Republican opposes it. And, you know, we'll see what the Democrats do. Most of them are totally in favor of it. So, uh, picking up your phone calls on the issues of the day, Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today?
0: Tom and the prophet, Truth, justice, democracy, peace, prosperity, common good in the American way. Good day to you, sir. Thank you. Um, I would just, I'm just calling time because I'm really concerned about 2022 and 2024. I'm concerned about the housing and Senate. And I think uh, the best solution right now is just for the January committee just to blow this thing up, put it out there. let the American people know what these Republicans all about.
3: I think that's starting to happen. We're getting more and more uh, leaks and reports from the January sixth treason committee um, who are you know obviously investigating the treason not, not committing it of course the Republicans will characterize it however they want and frankly, I'm not concerned about their memes but but it sure looks to me like the uh, January 6th treason committee is seriously looking into this stuff and the, and this new stuff about uh, this guy McEnany, uh who was yes. uh, you know Trump's body man and and was just you know just Go went on, full man. out authoritarian. Uh, he was he was busting people for you know liking Taylor Swift on on Instagram. Uh, I mean it's that's that's the kind of thing that happens in. Egypt, you know, with the military dictatorship. That's the kind of thing that happened. You know, I, I, I hate going back to Hitler's Germany. I'll, I'll pause that. But that, that's the kind of thing that happens in authoritarian governments. Yeah. And, absolutely, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and my, my last question to you: what
0: what, do you, what is the strategy for the Democrat to kind of regain uh, 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 this momentum right now? Because you know, I mean, if you're in charge of the Democratic Party, what would be your strategy to, to maintain the House, the Senate, and 2024? What well, taking us out for the phone. Thank sure. you. Sure.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Omar. Uh, you know, to win an election in America these days, you need two things. You need, on the one hand, some something positive, something that you're going to offer people and you also need something negative you need some outrage you need something for people to vote against you want them to vote for you and you want them to vote against your opponent now um, this is you know the if, if republicans have been mostly because they've got nothing for people outside of tax cuts and those are only for rich people so what the republicans have been doing is all outrage all the time you know now with ted cruz it's big bird Uh, With Glenn Youngkin, it was critical race theory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Democrats need to find their outrage. And I have been offering them a few. The war on workers, I think, is a good one. Uh, you know, the uh, free trade, I think, is a good one. Uh, the, the Republican treason, I think, is an excellent one. And that's what you just mentioned, Omar. That may well be the thing that comes to the fore. That, hey, you, this is a party that actually committed treason. They actually tried to end democracy in the United States by reversing an election that everybody watched and even Republicans said was totally fair and honest. And 60 different judges looked at. I mean, you know, it's, it's been audited 16 ways to Sunday. Um, but Democrats don't seem to be pissed off enough about that to you know uh, to, to win an election, frankly, which concerns me. I really think that they that they need to be focusing on this. Dee in Taos, New Mexico. Hey Dee, what's up?
4: Hey um, yeah, nice to talk to you. Um, yeah, I'm um I taught um, art and art history for uh University of New Mexico at Taos Taos Schools and so the kids got, you know, art and um credit for high school, but also for college. And I noticed when I was teaching, and would parallel art history to history in general, that the kids in Indiana and in New Mexico were, were lacking in government knowledge, in civics knowledge, and history knowledge. I think that everything we're talking about today, and that, you know, you're so erudite in history... I think that everything we're talking about is that's lacking in the United States at the polls are people who don't even know how a democratic republic works. Yeah. How do we get this across to independent voters, to wavering democratic vote uh, voters who vote democratic?
3: prior prior to the 1980s we taught civics in school Talk to anybody who was in elementary school before the reagan administration we we studied civics starting in second third fourth grade thereabouts i mean i memorized the preamble of the constitution i'm pretty sure in third or fourth grade and uh... reagan came along put bill bennett in charge of the education department bill bennett who said that if you want to reduce crime just abort every black baby it's literally what he said and, he, and Reagan dumb. put him in charge of the education department and Bill Bennett then you know basically ended any support for teaching of civics in our schools and it's been 40 years you know <laughs> it's, we've got kids who are graduating from high school who have never taken a single civics course they don't know that there's three branches of government they don't know that there's two two houses of congress they don't know you know how government works they, as you point out D and and they certainly don't know the history of unionization and they don't know the history of race in this country and we've got to get back to teaching civics and history and you can't separate the two they have to go together Um and and
5: Absolutely.
3: And, and and we you know we've just got to be, get back to doing it and and you know, education is an important thing and maybe d maybe this whole critical race theory hysteria bs that the republicans are shoveling out that just won them the election in virginia maybe that will provoke an actual national conversation about, okay, we are going to talk about labor. We are going to talk about race. Let's reach a consensus on what parts of it we can talk about. I think that if we did this out in the open with everybody participating and said, here are the pieces, that, you know, it it could actually be fairly reasonable. And welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. A couple of other stories in the news that I wanted to just put on your uh, radar screen. Glenn Youngkin, the Republican who won in Virginia. The New York Times, CNN, Yahoo News. Eric Bollard has a piece about this today over at PressRun.media. It's titled Republicans, the Press, and the, quote, Education Charade. And he points out that in every, every single one of these media stories about Glenn Youngkin winning, says that he won because of education. Yet, Glenn Youngkin never proposed any education policies. None. Zero. So what was the education he was talking about? Critical race theory. Which he was lying about. Glenn Youngkin spent the campaign... Lying to the citizens of Virginia saying they're teaching your children critical race theory, which is not true. It's a lie. They teach critical race theory in law school, not in, uh, not in elementary school or not in public schools, number one. And number two, you know, it, it was really just meta to it was really just code for they're teaching the history of black people. Oh, my God. And, and by the way, now the Beltway Press is saying, well, you know, uh, Glenn Youngkin won because people were sick and tired of schools being closed. Well, schools were back open when this election happened. The schools were closed back during the Trump time. Not, I mean, you know, the schools pretty much opened when Joe Biden came into office, when we started getting vaccine for teachers and things. I mean, obviously it was after the, you know, after the school, school year began in, in uh, September. But this, this, you know, this election was in November. CNN held up Youngkin as a new breed of education Republican, but couldn't point to a single serious education initiative he had championed. A new CNN poll—this is uh, Glenn's uh, writing—new CNN poll this week uh, shows just three percent of Americans select education as the most important issue in the in the country. The economy, twenty-six percent. This is crazy. And they're continuing to pitch this—that you know the Republicans are riding the, the education wave. No, they're not. They're riding the racism wave. Why isn't anybody just saying it? Glenn Youngkin campaigned in Virginia on racism, and he won. The majority of white women voted for him. The majority of white men voted for him, as is usually the case with Republicans. It was all about race. Why is our media so reluctant to simply tell the truth? Why do they have to twist themselves into pretzels to come up with narratives that make it look like Republicans are not racists or are not campaigning on white supremacy? Why? I don't get it. Carl in Manchester, Kentucky. Hey, Carl, what's on your mind today?
2: Uh, first, I want to thank you for allowing me to keep my sanity, Tom, uh, for the last little bit. But you're welcome, Carl. Nobody didn't didn't Youngkin in the Virginia election embrace China? You know, people keeps forgetting that they've got those huge ports. You know, I'm a truck driver, and they keep talking about this so called truck driving shortage, and they have got truck driving regulated so much right now that, you know, the last uh, physical I had, I was in a gown, I mean, (laughs) and then you have to have this background check to get into the ports, and uh, the coastal states are really skewing, uh, I mean, I've noticed this problem for a long time, they all have the, the, the huge ports. And it, it's been a boon for the coastal states, globalization has. Oh, yeah. Now, here in the hinterlands, uh, yeah. not so much. Yeah, And no. uh, they completely ignored that. Now, I have to put a blocker on MSNBC again because of James Carville talking about this woke stuff. Yeah. And Black Lives Matter, you know, like it's... Uh, What what, what Carville
3: is saying, uh, Carl, is that, uh, you know, uh, whenever there's an election, and this was true of the Biden election as well, the majority of white people are voting for Republicans. And so what Carville is saying is stop talking about race. You're going to lose even more white people, which I think is crazy. You know, it may be a good strategy short term, you know, in, in a particular election, particularly in a highly racist state like Virginia. Um, but he, even then, I think there's a point at which you have to say, "Okay, maybe it's a good strategy, but it's bad for the country, it's bad for the party, it's bad for all of us, including white people." And and uh, you know, we just need to keep telling the truth.
2: Yes, sir. Well, uh, to me, it's like it's a courtroom right now, with a judge is absent. They can create the narrative out of whole cloth, Yeah. and then there's nobody to. You know, I hate to see freedom of speech destroy our country. You know, there has to be some liability Yeah. somewhere in all these huge lies they're telling. And uh,
3: you would think, yeah. I mean, and that's the po- that's the point of elections, Carl. Uh, Carl, I got to move along, but that's that. You know, that's why we have elections. Yes, sir. So make sure right, you're registered. You very much, Tom. Thank, thank you, keep Carl. Up the good work, buddy. Yep, I'll do my very best, and let you know. Make sure all your friends are registered too. Kurt in Akron, Ohio. Hey, Kurt, what's up?
0: Well, good afternoon, Tom, and I will dispense with the pleasantries because I know you're on a tight schedule here. Um, you talked about the lady who gave birth to the child with serious birth defects, correct? But she
3: didn't, no, it was the child had such severe birth defects that he would not have survived gestation. This baby was okay, going to die I, in her womb. That was also the case with the woman in, in Ireland. In both cases, okay, they I, were denied an abortion because the law did not have a provision for the health of the woman.
0: Okay, I stand corrected on that then. What I called about was I was actually born with birth defects back in the 70s. And what happened was the OBGYN who delivered me committed suicide six months after I was born. I was born, he used the forceps to get me out of my mother's birth canal, resulting in my eyes becoming black and blue. That developed because, as you know, infants who are just born are not fully developed that led to me developing congenital cataracts. This is back in the 70s before laser surgery. Right. So, I had to spend the first year of my life in and out of hospitals having intense, intense cataract surgery for an infant. Wow. To the, to the point where for the rest of my life, and I'm gonna be 45 on March 4th of next year, will be considered legally blind and visually impaired. Um, What I'm getting at is, even with a disability, I was fortunate. My father was a member of a union, see how it ties together here, so we had great health insurance. Um, My mother worked for an eye doctor, so I got free eye care. I was able to go to a public school and studied in mainstream classes, didn't have to take any special education classes went to college, Kent State University, graduated and married for almost 15 years now in the same job for 20 years. It's a wonderful
3: Kurt. What, and, and, and you know p- good on you but what what's, your, getting, what's the point? And,
0: well well my point is if my point is I had these opportunities and I hear these Republicans talking about cutting all this stuff you're like you're in it on your own. Why is it that it is so wrong? For someone like me to have these opportunities, but I was fortunate, but no one else in that situation can't have those opportunities that I had because mm. you know, just because you're disabled doesn't mean you're quote unquote a loser to society or a dredge on society. Well the the, the, come, the, the,
3: the number two guy, the either he's either Lieutenant Governor or Attorney General. I forget which, which title Dan Patrick has in Texas, but you know, he was the guy who came out and said, Us old people over seventy, this is last year we can get covid and die cuz we're you know past Absolutely. our prime Governor. time you know I mean, it's like
0: i mean i i mean i actually worked in brutal. my grandpa's sheet metal shop i worked in my grandpa's sheet metal shop i had a strong family unit i, mm-hmm. I was fortunate yeah. I had a, and i never
3: lost a finger i never got hurt yeah i didn't and, work in a know, sheet metal shop but i, I you know we I, I i think all of us are fortunate just to have been born in america we're fortunate
4: right
0: and you know as far as my college because of my visual impairment I was able to go to college for free as long as I maintained a C average, but I made charge a 3.5 GPA. So that kept me from getting student loans. So it can be done. It's just people need to be able to find the tools and need to have people to provide those tools to them. And if it means you and me paying more taxes for it, so be it. That's what it comes down to.
3: I get it. Kurt, thanks a lot for the call. John in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, John, what's on your mind today?
7: Tom, I've got a comment about Merrick Garland very well might be positioning himself for a Supreme Court position, but I think all of the, the neoliberals are positioning themselves for the way the world is going to become, not for the way the world is.
3: For the time when America has slid into authoritarianism.
7: Yeah, the corporations have been taken over for decades. Yep. This isn't This It became more visible. Yep. You know with especially with the pandemic and i suspect maybe whoever and i'm you know i believe that when the when the experts said that the coronavirus was not made in a lab or you know it wasn't on the backbone of you know the dna that we thought it should have been made on if it had been made in a lab and now they're rethinking that you know the coronavirus could have just as easily have been a test run
3: you know i think in the from the I, point of view of mother nature it certainly was <laughs> you know if you, if you just, i mean just just assuming because yeah. you know I don't, I don't think any country would would uh unleash a pandemic that would take down the world like that i mean this this is one not of, you know it,
7: one of the things that's happening kind of in the background that you know we kind of know it on the surface but we don't really nobody really talks about where it ends up is the, the lower class and the working class people are being replaced by artificial intelligence every day. And it's that very class of people that are pushing artificial intelligence forward. Computers are going to be able to do so many things to, quote, free up, you know, humans right. from, you know, menial tasks. Oh, Nobody really off. thinks that through as to where that leaves us. And at that point, you know, the... The world of workers, you know, the, the five billion, six billion, seven billion of us that there are that are just worker bees mm-hmm. in, this, in this society. Of what use are we to those rich people once they have artificial intelligence that can replace us?
3: Well, if we have a job, we pay our taxes and that supports the government because the rich people are not paying any taxes.
7: What so, do they need the government for at that point?
3: Well, they, they, I think they would still like to have roads and bridges. They may not use them. They fly around in their private helicopters and things like that. But the, the, the people who cook their meals, the people who build their houses, the people who take care of them, the people who tend to their children, uh, you know, the, the, the lawyers who, who do their dirty work on behalf of them. I mean, they, they all need those public roads and things. I mean, you know, they, well, they may be willing to tolerate a country that is, you know, pockmarked and, and poverty ridden, but they still want to have a country.
7: You think so, really? Because they yeah. exist outside of the country. Well, They, t- they
3: t- don't t- exist t- in any one country. To, to some extent. You've I, even got a new term to describe them. They're called the global elite. Yeah. You know,
7: this isn't going any place that, that we worker bees are going to want to end up. Uh, I guarantee you, there's more going on than, than, you know, just the right-wing fanatics that are trying to overthrow our government.
3: No, I, I get that. And, you know, it's all about whoever has the biggest money bin. And now you've got, uh, thank you, John, for the call. And now you've got guys who are making so much money. That with their pocket change, they're shooting themselves into outer space. I mean, that's how bad it's gone. Which is amazing. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman.
6: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole?
3: Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. So uh, Republicans are already lying about Joe Biden's child care plan. I mean, you would think that there was enough stupid things that Democrats were doing that Republicans could actually tell the truth about something. You know, that they wouldn't have to go to like the critical race theory lie. Uh, Well, now they've got this new lie. And the new lie is that the Build Back Better program is going to give, you know, free Well, this isn't the lie. Here's the setup for the lie. The Build Back Better program, which is, you know, now going to be voted on and go to the in the House and go to the Senate here, presumably next week. That the Build Back Better plan has this uh, a couple of billion dollars in it to provide free three year old to five year old pre-K, basically. Which will help working in particular working moms, but also some working dads, particularly single parents right so uh, uh, help them get back to work and so what are the republicans saying about this because you know of course they don't want any government money going to anybody that is not a billionaire this is the i mean the whole point of tax breaks for billionaires is to drain the government of resources reagan used to refer to it as starving the beast a phrase that david stockman came up with when he was reagan's budget director Because, hey, if you're doing things for people, that's got to be paid for with taxes. And where's those tax dollars going to come from? Well, there's these rich people who are hoarding literally trillions of dollars. So anyhow, they want to blow this thing up. They want to end it. And so what they are saying is that a lot of the pre-K daycare schools, whatever you want to call them, they're kind of a synthesis of the two. A lot of the pre-K in this country are being run by religious institutions that's a fact churches run them nonprofit organizations that are aligned with churches run them uh, people who are simply motivated by you know religious uh, a positive religious uh, impulse are, are running them and then there, you know of course there are some that are just openly evangelical but hey they're there and that's what you know if that's what parents want cool And Build Back Better will give money to those organizations. As uh, Helen Hare, the communications director for Senator Patty Murray said, quote, religious providers are absolutely eligible and we're excited for them to be part of this. But the lie that the Republicans are promoting right now is that uh, only secular programs can get this money. Only secular programs, right? And it's just like, this is one of those lies that is really taking hold. It's it's uh, it's pretty grim, actually. the The primary way, this from a piece over Huffington Post, the primary way it would help families would be through subsidies, which families could use to defray childcare costs. So basically, you pay to put your kid in a program, and the federal government gives you a subsidy, and you make your choice, and you can put the money wherever you want. But instead, here's what we're getting. This is Tom Donahue, the president of the Catholic League. Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Muslims, and Mormons who place the children in a child care center of their faith are not entitled to any assistance. Well, no, that's a lie. It's not true. According to this article in Huffington Post, according to the communications director for Patty Murray, who helped write the legislation... Micah Schwartzman, a University of Virginia law professor, says this is, in effect, a federally funded voucher program to be administered by state governments. This program explicitly includes religious providers. Now, I might not be real excited about the fact that we're going to take a billion dollars and pass part of it out to churches. But, hey, if that's what it takes to get pre-K without having to build out a whole brand new physical, you know, infrastructure system and build, you know, add on to public schools so 3 to 5 year olds can go or build new buildings or what. You know, there's all already this infrastructure, this religious infrastructure. If that's what it takes, I'm okay with that. We're supporting religious schools already. The Supreme Court has said it's absolutely okay, in fact it's necessary. You can't discriminate against religious schools. But this is their new lie and expect to hear it in fact i'm i'm betting that there will be some republican going oh yeah this build back better it, it denies money to churches for pre-k it doesn't there is a friend the word secular does appear in there but it has to do with money that is going directly to institutions that are like you know building properties and things like that it has nothing to do with these subsidies and it has to do with the word primarily you gotta that's the key word so they're taking a little tiny bit of truth and turning it into a massive lie why is it that republicans always have to do this is it just what they do i mean it's just it's just like this is uh, hey i'm a republican we lie for a living is that really what's going on So a couple of quick stories here. Uh, a geeky science, first of all, this is absolutely fascinating. Mark Sumner did a deep dive of this over at Daily Kos. He's one of the just one of the smartest writers out there uh, these days, and 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 does such such brilliant work. And uh, yeah, I tip my hat to Mark Sumner almost every day. And he's pointing out that this four dollar drug may actually work against COVID. Uh, you know now. You've got Regeneron, which is a cocktail of two antibiotics or two antibodies, monoclonal antibodies, Casirivimab and I'm not even going to try and pronounce them. Anyhow, two, two of these, and then uh, Eli Lilly offers another one, uh, Bamlanivimab. Uh, but they're like $2,000 a dose, right? Uh, it, this is the stuff that Ron DeSantis is passing out down in Florida, but you know, with, with tax dollars, but. But it turns out, and, and you know, and they tried ivermectin, and they tried uh, hydroxychloroquine, and there was actually reasons why either one of those might have been useful. But then they put them in clinical trials, and they found out, hey, you know, they don't work. They don't work worth a damn. But uh, fluvoxamine, which I think is the generic name for Prozac, um, my dog was put on this. Right, we've, we've got a dog who has anxiety from time to time, and he gets gerd and he throws up, and the vet gave. Uh, louise a prescription for fluvoxamine you know just just a a half a dozen tablets try it for a week and see what happens it didn't help but you know it might have but it's an ssri drug the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors which prozac was kind of the the first of many and i think this might be the generic name for prozac but if not it's something very very close to it and this was some pretty amazing science this was published in the journal of the american medical association back in november of last year now they they did a study with uh, 80 patients who were taking fluvoxamine and 72 patients who got a placebo this is double blind you know placebo controlled crossover test the the gold standard for science it was a small group it was only you know basically a hundred and 160 patients but um nonetheless six of the patients in the placebo group had serious clinical deterioration once they were symptomatic with COVID. Out of the 80 patients who got the fluvoxamine, zero deteriorated. And then there was a larger study that was published in the British Medical, medical journal Lancet out of Brazil that involved about 1,500 people. 741 patients got fluvoxamine, 756 got a placebo. By the end of the results, this is amazing, patients who received the full 8-10 to 10 day course of treatment had a 66% lower rate of hospitalization when compared to the placebo. The reduction in deaths among this group was 91%, writes Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos. Uh, his article is, is titled, $4 drug may be more effective than $2,000 monoclonal antibodies in treating COVID-19. So, say that again? Luvox. Luvox is the, is the okay, Sean looked it up and she says the, uh, the, the actual Uh, name of this is Luvox, but you know, it's an antidepressant. And if you're only taking it for a week for the, for the COVID, you're not going to get the whole problems, you know, the problems of long-term abuse potential and things like that. So I just wanted to flag that for you. You might, you know, uh, keep that in mind. uh, If you're, if you get COVID and you're talking to your physician, just ask him about it. Also, Ken Langone and a couple of other GOP billionaires, these are Republican billionaires who supported Donald Trump. Are, uh, are coming out in favor of good old Joe Manchin. Ken Langone, the, the, this Republican billionaire who was a big supporter of Donald Trump, he was on CNBC a day or three ago. And, uh, well actually this is Wednesday from NBC Politics. And he said, I'm gonna have one of the biggest fundraisers I've ever had for him, he being Joe, Joe Manchin. He's special, he's precious, he's a great American. They note, this is uh, CNBC's notes, Langone is the latest billionaire executive to come out in support of Manchin. Nelson Peltz, who founded the investment firm Tryon Partners, told CNBC in October that he talks to Manchin every week and supports how he's handling his work on Capitol Hill. Langone and Peltz both supported former President Donald Trump. So Joe Manchin, who's saying, no, you shouldn't tax billionaires. I'm not in favor of that is now going to have fundraisers being conducted for him by billionaires i'm wondering how the people of west virginia think of this what do west virginians think about how joe manchin is represented inquiring minds want to know so much going on and so so much bizarre stuff going on anyway matthew in grand rapids michigan hey matthew what's on your mind today
8: Hey, hey, Tom, uh, greetings from your birthplace, the home of Gerald Ford and Betsy DeVos. How's that for a fight, <laughs> Yeah,
3: It's um, not the best company to be in, but it's not bad. It's, so <laughs> what's what up?
8: Got. Hey, I had a really interesting conversation with a conservative guy this morning. As we all know, as you know, growing up here, Kmart uh, was started here in Michigan, all the way back in the Detroit area. The final Kmart in the state of Michigan, down in Marshall, down by Battle Creek there, is, uh, which is very near, by the way, talking about unions, where the Kellogg strike continues to go on, yep. home of uh, Tony the Tiger and Battle Creek there. Anyway, Marshall's about 15 minutes from Battle Creek. The final Kmart is closing in Michigan. They are down to 16 stores now nationwide. Uh, the guy, who, you probably know the guy, Eddie Lampert. Are you familiar with that name? I'm not. He is, he is the guy who took over Sears slash Kmart in 2004, and his business plan was to simply... Run them into the ground and liquidate them, while his capital investment firm would get all the real estate money from them.
3: Ah. Uh, um, so, so what's it was, happening they, they, here? They're they're running them to strip them, basically to strip the assets out. That's exactly.
8: Well, and so what's happening here is um, the stores are closing year by year, month by month. It's all the Sears and Camerons across Michigan, and people here are kind of attached to them because everybody who grew up in Michigan had a Cameron. Anyway, right. long story short, I get in discussion with a conservative this morning, and he says, "Well, yeah, if it wasn't for Eddie Lampert." Those places would have shut down 10, 15 years ago. He extended the life of those things by 10 years. You should be grateful. Yeah. And I'm like, how is a slow, painful, laying off, community-destroying liquidation, how is that preserving anything while the guy is making hundreds of millions of dollars for his own capital investment firm? How is that preserving anything? Yeah. I just, that term kind of blew my mind. Didn't,
3: Didn't Kmart come out of Kresge? Kresge's, yep, S Kresge and Company, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, which was the old dime well, store chain that was started in the Midwest. Absolutely.
8: Well, you always talk about Walmart and its transition. We've seen all these big box stores. Here's the great irony of the whole thing, though. So they're having this closeout sale at the final Kmart in Michigan. They have upped the wages for temporary cashiers to 25 bucks an hour, and they still can't get anybody currently at the moment. At least that was this morning. Oh, wow. So... Normally, they'll pay, what, 10, 10 bucks an hour, whatever Kmart pays. Right. Now, as the place is going under, oh, here's an extra 25 bucks an hour for the next three weeks until we lay off before Christmas because the guy ran the company into the ground. Right. I just I, I look at that economics, and we were talking about unions. I'm a son of two unions, uh, public school teachers, always had good health care, dental, et cetera. I'm 40 years old now, and am doing great. But I'm looking around, and I'm seeing, I'm like, how this, something's wrong. We yeah. talk about... You talk about all these policies and, and where the country's headed in economics, and this, this one just hits home. But $25 an hour so you can shut the place down, it just kind of blew my mind the irony of that whole
3: thing. Yeah. And, you know, people are still reluctant to go back to work. They don't, they can't get childcare for their kids. They're, they're in a retail environment. They're going to have to deal with mass colds and be exposed to a disease that could kill them, even if they're vaccinated. Although, you know, it's, it's much less likely, but still, it's, it's a total pain in the ass i get it i totally get it and michigan is uh COVID is actually going up in michigan right now if, if uh what i'm hearing from my friends who live there is true
8: I, I was just in traverse city last night and grand traverse county has now hit code red at their munson uh, hospital up there for the first time in the history of the hospital
3: wow that's they where that's where louise way. and i uh, went for our honeymoon 49 years ago this week
8: <laughs> it, it, it's still beautiful but COVID is is the worst they've ever had it up there it's the worst county in the state right now so It's not over, and uh, yeah, we can't. Now is not the time to let it down. So I don't blame anybody not wanting to go into a Kmart where they're running half off sales with no masks for 25 bucks an hour. And rest in peace, Blue Light Special.
3: There you go. Matthew, thanks for the call. Thanks for the update. Defending America from the conservative weapons of mass deception. I'll be right back. in Burlington, Vermont. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today?
9: Oh, uh, several things, Tom. You, you fill me up with stuff. I'm glad after five years of me jumping all over people about it, people are starting to realize that the supply chain stuff is national defense issue. If we overlaid our current manufacturing capability on the environment that we had in world the beginning of World War II, we'd have lost horribly. You're we, absolutely uh, right. never have made a liberty ship. Yep. Uh, but talking about some of the other stuff that the thing that I think Bernie has hit on and that is an underlying cause of the basically everybody being pissed off these days is that as the labor movement has decreased in size so has your security, so has your, your compensation so have so many things that make people valued members of society as opposed to cranks right. and I, I think that's sort of the, the thing that he hits on a lot that most people
3: don't realize and so you're saying that a lot one of the reasons why people are falling down the right-wing rabbit holes is because they don't have a union basically offering them support offering them a good job offering them a sense of stability and safety is that it yeah
9: they've lost their community right uh, You know, and and you know that's the reason the Lions Club and the Elks and all the other places are also gone downhill.
7: Yeah,
3: Uh,
9: people sit at home these days, look at Fox, grumble to themselves, and they're just miserable.
3: Well, a Uh, lot of those clubs came out of the time before television, many of them even before radio. So that was how people got together. We've largely replaced them with television, radio, and now with the internet.
9: Well, yeah, when I look at pictures of uh, my union from uh, you know hundred years ago. Uh, the big thing was to get dressed up and go to the union hall, yeah. and that was a social event. Yeah. Those things are now pretty much disappearing in our society, and it's not not great at all.
3: Yeah, Robert—I think his name is Robert Draper—wrote a book called "Bowling Alone." Um, it was either the late '90s or the early 2000s. I remember reading it when we were living in, in Vermont, uh, so you know it was like between 1998 and or 1997 and 2003. Yeah. And he he basically chronicles this whole thing. I mean, it was just a scholarly work uh, that drew some pretty alarming conclusions about how easily we could be misled, how fractured our society could become, how basically psychopathic individuals could become as a lack as a consequence of that lack of human connection and and social you know meeting our social needs. I'm with you, Bob. We gotta we gotta we gotta do something about it.
9: Well, I, I say. I mean, I spend a lot of time. Saying I want my party back because this Republican Party has migrated farther and farther over into the whack job. Yeah. Uh, the, the sensible Republicans are migrating back into the Republican Party. And it's diluting the message to some degree, uh, much to our demise. And quite frankly, uh, you're invited back to Vermont anytime when you talk about looking for a safe blue state. ok um, Thank not you too Bob. sure that uh, not too sure Oregon is going to stay with you there.
3: Yeah, well, you know it's uh, the, there are rural parts of Vermont that are just as red as rural parts of Oregon. I can tell you that, but uh, you know we're having a oh, good time. Yeah. Here. No, Bob, I got to move along, but no thank question. you for the call. It's great to hear from you, and I look forward to a future conversations. Thank you. Danny in Englewood, Colorado. Hey, Danny, what's on your mind today?
7: Hey, Tom. I was just, you know, thinking about the fact that every – seemed like, you know, we we're always winning national elections, I mean, Democrats are. And Republican candidates continue to not even, even be able to get, you know, the majority of the populist vote. Mm-hmm. And so I never understand why Democrats on these off-seasons, the interim elections, even local elections – why they don't have a serious apparatus that is geared year round every year every day every whatever to work their base that's what and Howard Dean built letting,
3: you know that and that's what got I, Barack Obama did. elected and then the and then the party yeah. basically adan- abandoned what uh, dean referred to as the 50 state strategy
4: yeah
7: I, I just don't understand that and i mean it's proven i think it's about a matter of resources, we win every time
3: I think it's a matter of cash. You've got all these right-wing billionaires who are just pouring money, and big corporations who are just pouring money into the Republican Party. Everybody understands, you know, if you get a Republican elected, your taxes are going to go down, your regulation is going to go down, you can screw your workers without consequence. Uh, You know, everything good from the point of view of billionaires and big corporations. And if Democrats get into office, then, you know, people, average people are going to see their wages go up. Average people are going to start getting benefits. They're going to get better health care. They're going to, schools are going to improve and things like that. But, you know, for the really rich people who are, who would have to be the ones who would fund something like Howard Dean's 50-state strategy, no, no interest. Particularly as the Democratic Party is shifting away from neoliberal political policy and toward populist policy, toward even more let's help the average person rather than let's bail out the banksters you had mm-hmm. Obama and Bush both massively bailing out the banksters no banksters went to jail I think a lot of Americans are very cynical about that but basically the banksters are all lining up with the GOP as far as I can tell I mean it seems to me like that's actually what's going on Danny thank you for the call I gotta I got move along here Rudy in Atlanta Georgia hey Rudy what's on your mind
10: you know Tom it is really cr- criminal how this misinformation is is killing people. I mean, it's killing people, yep. and it, you know, this thing with the CRT. Um, so, you know, this is really killing a lot of white people. Yep, it, it's killing them. I have a couple of customers that I, because I, I do lawn service on the on the side, and these. These people will not take the vaccination because of what they're hearing on the radio. And this CRT, I mean, it's just a whole disinformation, Tom. And I, it's, you know, I can spend at least an hour just explaining some of the things that that I've seen in my orbit mm-hmm. on how people that are, they're either hearing it from their loved ones, older people in their family, People are not telling them the truth about history and uh, Fox News, and when you get a, a mixture of that, it's hard. I mean, it's
3: it's uh, it's, it's poison. It's cultural it's, poison. It's poison.
10: It's poison, Tom. It's poison. I mean, at the highest ho- at the highest level, yep. And it's killing people.
3: Yep. Yeah, we have seven hundred fifty thousand dead Americans. It's uh, you know we're we, we are out distancing the whole rest of the world in terms of people being killed. And, you know, it goes back to Trump's policies. And you've got this cult around Trump that wants to wants to keep going in that direction. And I think I think it's just an absolute tra- tragedy. Uh, I'm with um, you. It's, Ru- it's, uh, yeah. Rudy, you. I got to move along. But thank you for the call. Charles in Santa Monica. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, how you doing,
5: Tom? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Listen, I, uh, I just wanted to say something about every time that something doesn't turn out our way, we on the left get in a circular firing squad and accuse each other of being insincere. And that, to me, is an argument for authoritarianism. You know, if you expect that... No, it's an argument elect- for
3: sincerity, Charles. And oh, it happens okay. in all political parties. When you've got somebody who is fundamentally violating the goal of the party and the principles of the party, and I'm specifically here talking about Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin and people like Kurt Schrader you know, half a dozen or a dozen uh, Democrats in the House. When you've got somebody who is intentionally violating the principles of their party and the people they represent just to get some cash or just to stay in power, they should be called out.
5: Oh, yes, definitely call them out. That's not Circular Firing
3: Squad. That's cleaning your own house.
5: My point is that when you elect somebody and then you expect them to do what they said they were going to do during the campaign and then you get all disappointed, you cede your possibility of actually using the power that you still have. We cannot expect elected our elected representatives
3: to be faithful to us. Why you
5: not? Know, when they're, when, well,
3: best of my knowledge, Bernie's never lied to me. He represented me for 10 years when I lived in Vermont. And, and you know, he did what he said he was going to do or tried to. I know. And that's wonderful. And he's the exception. I'm saying we no, need I think to be I've, on the street. We I, th- need to be I think he's on the
5: street he's... calling for a general strike. There's 100,000 people demonstrating in England right now outside the cop. We should be having that in every city across the world. If we want to understand what we're facing and we want to really do something about it, we can't keep looking to the people we put in government to do it for us. That's my point.
3: Okay. Bob in Tetonia, Idaho. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind?
5: Well, howdy, Tom. Hey. Uh, when I... When I wrote the draft to his farewell address, what he wrote was the congressional military industrial complex is having undue influence. Yeah. Yes. And so these days we dropped that congressional because uh, his uh, Republican congressman got so upset and said, so, well, you can't blame us. So you have to strike that from your speech.
3: Yeah. No, I, I, I'm totally with you, Bob. And, and in fact, here, just a little moment of Dwight Eisenhower. Vote for Eisenhower, vote for peace.
2: He has met Europe's leaders, has got them working with us. Elect the number one man for the number one job of our time. November 4th, vote for peace. Vote for Eisenhower.
3: Yeah, there was actually a time when Republicans ran for president by saying, vote for peace. Donna in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Donna, what's up?
4: Yes, about an hour ago, I was at my Madison East Walmart, which is total chaos. They're redoing stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's frustrating because they're getting rid of the cashier workers and they put in massive amounts of the automatic stuff. And right. the, there Check were yourself
3: backups. out. Yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah, people waiting there for a long time for help to run these day blasted machines. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to voice it's a pity. I, I boycott that stuff. When there's a cashier standing, I get in line. I don't care how long Me I too. have to wait. Me too. You know, but this is the result of. Of Walmart and their conglomerate takeover of America, shutting down Kmart, Big Lots, Shopko—you know—and forced to go to those that place. I avoid that like the plague if I can, but unfortunately, they provide necessary stuff.
3: Yeah, it's about all you're left with. Donna, your your complaints are on the record, and I salute them. Thank you very much for that, John in Seattle. Hey, John. Yeah, Tom, I'm calling in regards to Merrick Garland, Hmm? the Attorney General. And learning that Merrick
5: Garland was a student of uh, Lawrence Tribe, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't do anything, he should be held in obstruction of justice.
3: The problem is, you would have to go to the Attorney General to file those charges, and that happens right. to be Merrick Garland. Yeah, uh, John, I, you know, I, I'm not ready to go totally ballistic on Merrick Garland. Uh, you know, it might feel satisfying, but you know, let's see how this shakes. I do think. You know, he's doing things wrong and he's doing things slow, but I'm not sure that that means that he's not on our side. We'll see. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same channel. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It actually does require all of us. Make sure you're registered to vote and everybody you know is registered to vote. And if you live in a red state where they routinely purge people who live in cities from the voting rolls, double check. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
1: Say goodbye.